Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Paid in Full podcast. I'm your host, Joe Rausch, and this is episode number four. So if you're just tuning in and this is your first time listening, definitely make sure to check out the first couple episodes because we covered some really, really great foundational information that we're now building on because today we're talking about the glorious world of royalties. But before we get started, look, if you want to stay updated with every episode, please just hit the little subscribe button on your podcast app. That would be really cool. And also, if you're feeling generous and you're feeling a little feedbacky, rate this podcast and let me know how I'm doing. I'm totally open to hear what you guys got to say. I uh, definitely want to make things interesting and uh, target the things that you want to hear. Also, if you have any questions, just drop a comment in the comment section because I'll make sure to answer them on the show, make it a little more active bring it into the community, bring it into the family, and let's do this. All right, so before we get into it, just a little bit of a recap. We talked about the different aspects of a song going down from the musical composition versus the sound recording, music publishers versus record labels, songwriters versus recording artists, and really tackling those two worlds and defining them in the last couple episodes so we can really understand the differences. But today, let's start talking about money. Because this podcast isn't necessarily how to make money in the music industry, but more so how the money actually works. I truly believe that if you understand how the money is generated and how the inner workings of the industry function, then you're going to be able to find many, many, many ways to make money that fits with your goals, with your time, with your career, what you want to be doing. But you have to know how it's coming in, how it's flowing to you. All right. So let's jump right in with the basics about royalties. Again, this is just going to be an overview. I'm not diving too deep into anything on this episode. It's more to get your mind in the space of royalties, making it approachable because this tends to be a black hole. It tends to be a place that gets really convoluted, really confusing, but I want to break that mold and make it friendly and inviting and something that we all understand because it is the foundation for your business as an artist, as a songwriter, as a manager or performer or whoever you are. Understanding royalties is incredibly important. So let's do this. The first type of royalties we're going to be talking about are publishing royalties. Now, this relates to the musical composition. If you want a little refresher, it's what we talked about in episode one and two when we were talking about the copyright and going over splits. The musical composition relates to the songwriter side and the publishing side. So to be clear, we're not talking about the sound recording. Uh, That's going to come in just the next section. But for right now, we're just going to focus on the musical composition. So what I like to do just as a fun little exercise, I do this from time to time and I encourage you to do it as well. Think about all the ways that you consume music on a daily basis. Uh, If you're sitting down and you want to write them down, that's cool as well. But just go through kind of the, the mental day and try to really pinpoint the areas of music and songs that you hear. So I'll start, I'll just share my day, a typical day for me and walk you through the many different ways because you'll quickly see how much music you consume in so many different ways without even noticing. All right, so I start my day, I go to the gym, I drive to the gym, and the first place I hear music is on Spotify through my phone, through my mobile app. I put on a playlist on my way to the gym. Now, when I plug it into my car, the music actually first plays through the phone because there's a little bit of a delay till it connects to the car. 
and then it plays through the car speakers. So already that's two places of hearing music, one through my car and through my car speakers and two through my phone. So those are already two different areas where you can consume music. And then on my way to the gym, I'll be listening to different playlists. Maybe it'll be in my saved songs. Maybe it'll be on a downloaded playlist or maybe even one of Spotify's radio stations. So there's multiple ways even through the Spotify app that I'll consume music and play around with. Now, I'm using their premium version. So for them, the royalties will be documented as premium. But we'll get into that later in terms of how we break down streams uh, in later episodes. But Again, there's already just in this little way of consuming music, there's so many different components to it. So on my way to the gym, listening to Spotify, maybe I want to switch it up and listen to the radio, to just regular FM radio because I want to hear the news or I want to listen to maybe some DJs. So boom, terrestrial radio. That's another way music music is consumed. Then when I get to the gym, I'll put my headphones on, but the gym is playing music, so that's music being consumed in a pub, in a public place, and they have that music, so I'm listening to that as well in addition to my own stuff. Then I'll come home, and once I get to work, I'll put on Spotify on my desktop version, so now it's either on my desktop or my laptop, and I'll listen to it through that. Then I'll maybe have the TV on in the background. There'll be a show going on or maybe some sports and music will be playing throughout the show. Uh, Also in commercials and advertisements that are happening, there's music there. Maybe I'll watch some YouTube videos and watching the YouTube videos, music will be in the ads as well as the actual videos themselves. So again, we're piling up the ways music is being consumed. Also, I'm totally like a lyric nerd. So if there's lyrics that I really like in a song and I want to kind of clear them up because I get lyrics wrong all the time, I'll go and search the lyrics. I'll either go to like Genius or Lyric Find and just Google search them and actually read the lyrics with no music even accompanied to it. Or if I want to read the lyrics with music, I'll watch a lyric video on YouTube. So now we're bringing out the different lyrics uses. The lyric uses are another way to consume music. Then maybe you do a little shopping and you want to buy some merch from a band. I like buying band t-shirts and maybe on one of their t-shirts they have a lyric across them. There's another way, lyric on merch. It's another way a song and these elements can be consumed. Also lately I've been watching High Fidelity. That show's awesome. I really love the original movie too. But it kind of uh, reignited and, and sparked my desire to buy vinyl again uh, and build up my record collection. I just got that feeling from watching the show, that kind of nostalgia. I used to, to buy a lot of records. So maybe I'll take a stroll to the record store midday, um, walk in, buy music on a record on vinyl. So you're buying music through a product. Also in the store, they're probably playing music. So again, there's a public performance use right there. And then maybe at night I'll go see a show and I'll go see some live music, see a band or an artist that performs. Again, that's performing music live. Also, the venue itself will be probably playing music in between acts. So there's multiple different ways you're constantly consuming music and you may not even really notice how much it's being consumed per day. But I say all this and I I go through this exercise because that's essentially the essence of music publishing and 
where royalties are generated for musical composition. See, the composition isn't just linked to the recording itself. The composition gets royalties from every single use of any part of that song ever all over the world. That's what's special about publishing and the composition. It's however that song is used, no matter what. It doesn't even matter if the technology changes. That's what's so cool is that technology changes all the time. And for publishing, it doesn't really matter how technology changes because if they want to use music on their platform, they have to use the underlying composition. Even without the recording, look at a site like Genius uh, that I brought up earlier. Genius blew up and they're just a lyric use. They're just, they're just showing the lyrics of a song. And those royalties from that go back to the rights holder, go back to the songwriter and the publisher. So let's go through kind of another example and play this out because um, I really want to separate publishing royalties and songwriter royalties and, and these types of royalties from sound recordings and others that we're going to get into. So let's walk through an example. Um, let's say you're a songwriter. You write a song and that song gets pitched for Rihanna and Rihanna does a recording of that song. Boom. Any way Rihanna's recordings are out there, royalties are going to go to you as well because you were the songwriter. So when it's streamed, when it's on YouTube, uh, when it's downloaded, when she performs it in concert, when it's in a TV show, all those different ways from all the countries all around the world, not just from the recording sales, but any way that song is used, the lyrics, when people search it, whatever it is, um, it could be in a book, whatever way that song gets out there, royalties go back to you. Then let's say Major Lazer does a recording, but they want to do a translation. They want to do a Brazilian version. So they want to do a recording of your song uh, with a Brazilian artist that speaks Portuguese. So they'll do a translation, which is a derivative work. And they, so they got to get your permission for that. They got to get the rights to do that. But now their recording is out there. So now you have Rihanna's recording. You have Major Lazer's recording. That's doing really well royalties are flowing back to you. Now the song is becoming really cool and, and popular. So maybe DJ Snake does an EDM remix to it that he puts out there. And because it's a remix, again, that's a derivative work. So you got to get permission from you to do that. But his version goes out there. Now more royalties flowing back to you from his recorded version. Then let's say Vampire Weekend really likes this song, so they do a cover version of it in their kind of like indie rock style, and maybe it's a little more stripped down, but now they have their Vampire Weekend recording of your song, another way where royalties start flowing through you. Now maybe you are an artist yourself, and you say, you know what, I want to record this version and just put it out because I'm the original songwriter, and maybe I'll sing it in a way that's different than all these and put my version out there. And there you go as well. It's another recording, but the royalties flow back to you because at the end of the day, all roads lead back to the musical composition. And when I say all roads, I mean all royalties lead back to the composition. That's what's awesome about publishing. So hopefully that got you kind of in the state of mind of what it means to be a songwriter not just a recording artist, which we're going to get into, but really a songwriter. And this is what I say about splitting yourself into different entities. 
because you may be the person who wrote the music and recorded it and did everything. You're, you might be totally independent. You may be, you may write the lyrics and record it. You can be all those people. But for the purpose of this, I need you to split yourself up and really look at yourself right now just as the songwriter. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about publishing royalties here. Now, just for sake of conversation, um, we're not going to go too deep now, but also know that performance rights organizations are publishing royalties. Those are performance royalties like ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC. Those are publishing royalties. So those are on the songwriting side. They have nothing to do with the sound recordings, purely publishing, purely songwriter royalties. But again, we'll dive really uh, into that in later episodes. So now let's move on to artist royalties and record royalties and sound recording royalties, the other side. These royalties are generated by the use of your sound recordings. And if you need a refresher on what a sound recording is, click back to episode three uh, where we cover that. So This is the master side, the master recording side, the sound recording side. So sound recordings are used and consumed in many different ways as well, like streaming and downloads, uh, record sales, they're in TV and film and advertisements. So when we talk about these royalties, we're talking about recording artists. We're talking about record labels, distributors and distribution companies and services, everything around the sale and use of the sound recording. So for example, when you go get a record deal, uh, usually in a record deal, the record label owns the master recordings and they'll pay you what's called the artist royalty. It's usually a percentage of the sales. Usually it can be as low as like 7% all the way as high as 25%. Usually hovers somewhere around 12 to 15%. um, But I have seen more extreme deals than that. And There's a lot more to that too. And also when we talk about percentages in the uh, artist world, we talk in the terms of points, but I'll keep it to percentage just for kind of a royalty calculation uh, way of, of talking about this stuff. Now, that's what you'll get from a record deal. Also, when it comes to syncs and uh, basically TV and film, they usually split that 50-50 with the artist. Now, every deal is different, and I'm not even coming close to talking about that right now, but just know there's a lot of exceptions to what I'm saying. This is a very general perspective here, just to get you to understand how royalties will be generated from an artist side. Now, if you're an independent artist and you're in a distribution deal with a company, whether it's a distribution company or even a label themselves, um, they don't own the masters. You own the masters. You own your sound recordings, and they take a percentage of that and pay you uh, the rest. So it can be, uh, it ranges, it can be literally as low as 5% all the way up to like 30 or 40%. A lot of this depends on advances. It depends on uh, success, track record, you know, projections so much, but just know in terms of how we're talking about royalties in this part of it, you own your masters. So they're just going to take a percentage of that. Now, some deals are, some record deals are net profit where uh, you actually split the profits 50-50 after, um, you know, costs are recouped and things like that. So there's different ways to structure these deals and different way the artist royalties and the sound recording royalties uh, flow down to you as a recording artist. Now, if you sign up with a distribution service like TuneCore or DistroKid or CD Baby, again, it's distribution. So you're owning your master's. While a distribution company, a bigger one, would take a percentage, these services actually you just pay 
a one-time yearly fee often. It's, you know, I don't know, $29, $39, $49 a year. They have different promotions and different structures depending on where you're at, but you'll pay them an annual fee and they won't take any commission. They actually just flow all your royalties through to you, which is when you get the statements and those sales reports, when they when you get the accountings, uh, there's no commission take, taken from them. And that's often how those services function. Now, one thing you have to be careful of, I'll just go on a slight tangent here, is that when you do these distribution deals with these service companies, some of them have um, an option for you to click where you can have them collect your publishing income as well. But if you don't do that, which it really depends, I'm not for or against it, but it depends that if you don't click that, you may not be collecting your publishing royalties because these distribution companies primarily only are paying you for sound recordings. Meaning, if you wrote your song and you recorded the song that you wrote, and you distribute them through DistroKid, and DistroKid pays you money, when that money comes in, that is not your publishing money. That's just the money for your sound recording. Your publishing money has to get collected through other means. This can be whether it's through an administrator or a publishing company or an administration service company like a song trust or even directly. You can collect a lot of your money directly, especially domestically for publishing. But what happens is people sign up, independent artists sign up with distribution companies. And when you get paid, you're only getting paid on the sound recording side. So it's so often that uh, artists are not collecting their publishing, which is still sitting out there today. So this is why you need to know the difference between your sound recording income and your publishing income to make sure you're collecting both income. Whether you're in a publishing deal or a record deal, or not, or completely independent, they both work differently, they both flow differently, and will affect your income very differently. Now, another side of um, sound recording income comes from sound exchange. I know we've all heard sound exchange, but what really is that? So sound exchange is paying digital royalties from non-interactive digital sources and non-terrestrial radio, meaning this is sources like digital radio, like Pandora, Sirius, things like that. If you're a featured performer, meaning you performed on the recording or you're the owner of the sound recording, then you can get these types of royalties. This has to do with sound recording side, nothing to do with publishing, okay? Now, if you're in a record deal, the record company will collect sound exchange money because they're the sound recording owner, but you still have to register with sound exchange as a featured performer to get that side. It's two different types of royalties there. Um, same thing goes if you're in a distribution deal. Often distribution companies collect sound exchange money on behalf of the uh, sound recording owner, but you have to sign up as a performer if you're the one performing, if you're the artist. Uh, or even in a band, a band can collectively be a performer, then you have to get that royalty as well. So they have two different types of royalties at sound exchange, both revolving around the sound recording. And don't worry, you don't need to know all of this right now because I'm having an episode dedicated to sound exchange and we'll, we'll go over all of it. But these are just getting you to see the different types of royalties and what side are they on? Are they on the publishing side and the songwriting side? Or are they on the sound recording and the artist side? 
And the more you can continue to separate these royalties into these different streams and these different sides, you know exactly where you are. Now we're going to also get into a third type of royalties here, which is the producer royalties. This is the third hat here. A lot of you are songwriters, artists, and producers. So there's an, this is the number three. This is the third one. Now, producer royalties come from also the sound recording side. The producer royalties are often stemming from the actual artist royalties. They're usually about 3%. They can be 4%. They could be 2% or points of the artist's gross royalties. And as a producer, this comes in through the record label side. So record labels often pay these royalties to producers from the artist share. Um, even though it's technically the artist's responsibility, they'll pass that responsibility on to the record label. And if there's multiple producers, then that two or three or 4% rate gets split among all the producers. Now, typically in the real world, Producers get paid a producer fee, usually a front-end or a back-end fee. Uh, it's like an advance payment up front. And once that fee is recouped, meaning once that fee is paid back, uh, back, back to the label when they make their money back, then the producer can get paid royalties. That doesn't happen that often uh, because usually the advance payment, that front-end and back-end payment, that fee is substantial and doesn't really ever recoup. So it's very common for many producers to not even see their actual royalties because they get paid that big upfront producer fee. But it's still important to know that as a producer, there are royalties that can be allocated to you that come from the recording side through the label and through the artist. Just very important to know. Also, you can get as a producer royalties from the sound exchange side as well. So those are just added royalties you should know about. You're entitled to them. You should get them. Don't let them just stand out there. If you're a producer, get all your royalties. Now, I mentioned you know the advance part when we talk about producer fees, but the reality is that advances play a major, major role in all of these scenarios. I just wanted to talk about the actual royalty flow here, but the reality is that advances are such a significant part of all this. And when people do deals, they often try to get the biggest advances possible. And there's so many songwriters and artists and producers that just remain unrecouped forever or once they become recouped, meaning once that advance money got paid back, they negotiate for another substantial advance. Now, this isn't necessarily a bad or good thing, but people don't generally think about the actual royalty flow because the focus tends to be more on the advance itself. Now, there's a lot of pros and cons to advances. It all depends on where you're at in your career, what you need money for, what your strategy is, uh, what you want to give up. I mean, there's so many different reasons to take an advance or not take an advance. But the point is, is that whether you do or don't, be very aware of what royalties will be recouping that advance, how it's going to be recouping. Uh, it'll help you in your negotiation. It'll help you budget your money, know how that money should be uh, spent and project, you know, follow the sales and follow the exposures. All of this is very, very important. So it still is important to understand the actual royalty flow even after you receive a substantial advance check. 
Now, lastly, I want to quickly just do a side note here about royalties for uh, other people like performers and session musicians, backup vocalists, non-featured artists that come from organizations like SAG-AFTRA and AFFM. Um, these also are royalties you should be collecting. If you fall in any one of those categories, you can go uh, to their websites and they'll actually have functions where you can just check if you have royalties and sign up and get those royalties. So they're, they're really great about that. They have a lot of resources that help you there. And those are separate royalties too. But again, you know, there's a lot of royalties flowing out there in the world that you may not be collecting from all different angles. The purpose, again, of of this episode was to make the distinction really between royalties derived from the musical composition and royalties derived from the sound recording. As you can separate those, then you can start creating these different royalty lanes and see which lane you're standing in and making sure those royalties are flowing to you. That's going to be the most important thing, especially as we start talking about this stuff, because you may fall into every category under the sun. I work with several people who are songwriters, artists, producers, performers, they're session musicians, and they may only be collecting one stream or two streams of their royalties when they should be collecting all four or five different areas of royalties that they may not be monetizing. So that's why it's really important to understand one, who am I and where do I fit into this musical world? Two, what royalties should I be getting and where should they be coming from? And three, how do I go get them? And once you start walking through those steps, a lot of the deals you'll be entering will make a lot more sense. Everything traces back to that royalty and that flow and that stream of income. And again, this is about building your financial foundation, whether you are in deals, a major record deal or a major publishing deal, or whether you're an independent artist, it's very, very important to understand exactly your money flow and your royalty flow down to the root of it. That way you can make much better decisions for your career and ensure that you're getting all your royalties that are due to you. So thank you so much for listening. Hopefully this was a good little introduction just to open up the conversation, start talking about these things, start using the vocabulary, the language, breaking down the different areas of royalties, the different flows, the different terminology, just to get this conversation moving. I love this world. I nerd out on it all the time. I hope I can continue to do that with you and I appreciate you joining me on this. If you have any questions or anything was unclear or you just want to know more, please drop a comment. I'll definitely answer. You could also connect with us on social media at Paid in Full Pod, both on Instagram and Twitter, or you can reach out to me through royaltymanagement.com. That's royaltymgmt.com. You can send me a note there. Let me know what's up. I'm happy to respond and help you with whatever you need. But again, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. I love talking about this stuff. It's about empowering. It's about education. Thank you for letting me share this and I will see you on the next episode. 